Opportunity, a Stargate Rewatch podcast. I'm Carrie. I'm Rachel. And today we're talking about Stargate SG-1 Season 4, Episode 8, The First Ones. Yay! I did remember this one! Yay! I'm so excited to talk about this episode because this is my all-time favorite Stargate SG-1 episode. Number one on my list of everything. This is my favorite. Okay, so you're going to have to explain to me why, because although I thought this episode was amazing, Uh I'm not exactly sure that I would agree that it's like the best, favorite, awesomest, most magnificent of all time. So, clarification, I don't think it's the best Stargate episode. It is Uh, just my favorite Stargate episode. And okay. about 75% of that has to do with how pretty Michael Shanks is in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what kind of color correction or what kind of lighting they did, but just like his eyes are so blue and he's just so pretty. And like with the wump when he gets like injured and, you know, I like it when that happens. And it's just like, mm-hmm. give me more of this, please. Thank you. Well, yeah, his eyes are very blue and he is very pretty in the lighting and like the fire. Yep. The, yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is that, so that's nice. But I tell you what, though, I looked up the actor playing the Unas. Oh, we'll get to that. I have, I have fun facts, yes. Because, holy crap, the expression mm-hmm. that that guy was able to convey under all that makeup. Oh, yeah. Give that man a daytime Emmy. I Seriously, yeah, I don't know how he didn't. Because, like, mm-hmm. I mean, we'll get to it, but that one scene where, like, Daniel's trying to talk to him, and he just kind of, like, huffs and, like, the nose actually, like, puffs out. Yeah. Like, yeah. Jesus, like, you really have to know what you're doing to, like, do stuff like that. Yeah. You really yeah. do. That um, was, that was mm, amazing. Yeah. He's fantastic. Like mm-hmm. Well, let's get to it. Okay. So, this is the first one. It originally aired on August 18th, 2000. It was written and directed by Peter DeLuise, and this is his first writing credit. I noticed that. Is, does he do a cameo? I tried to look for it. No, I did not see one if he did. I don't think he did. Unless he's just, like, one of the soldiers in, like, the gate room at the beginning. But usually he, like, gives himself a line to be like, you! Something. Yeah. So it's obviously him. So I don't know because he's written it. He didn't put himself in. And also, like, during the commentary, he didn't point out, hey, that's me over there, which he usually does. Okay. So, yeah. So I don't think he has a cameo in this one question then who did i forgot to ask you this when you started you know actually listening to the commentary is who mm-hmm. was actually doing the commentary for this episode okay um well interestingly peter's the only one on the commentary for this episode um oh. <laughs> previously it's usually been um like the writer and or director and sometimes they'll have um the visual effects supervisor or like the director of photography like mm-hmm. a technical person also with them but yeah for some reason this week it was just peter Oh, but I will I will attempt to make specific notes going forward of yeah who is on the commentary. So yeah, because inquiring minds want to know, and inquiring mm-hmm. minds are me. Okay, mm-hmm. I will let the inquiring minds know going forward. Okay, cool. <laughs> okay. So in this week's episode, after Dr. Jackson is taken captive by an Unis while on an archaeological dig, the SGC mounts a rescue operation but discovers a danger of their own. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Mm-hmm. So this episode opens with Daniel on P3X888 with Dr. Robert Rothman and SG11 doing an archaeological survey. Personal fun fact here, 
I love this episode so much. I wanted to get P3X888 as my license plate, but you can't have that format in Illinois of like letter, number, letter. Like you have, you oh. have to have the letters and numbers like grouped together. So you can have like all letters and then numbers or all numbers, but then letters, but you can't like go back and forth, which made me sad oh. and annoyed me because I'm like, really? How is that a thing that you can't do, but you can't? And it's, it annoyed me and I don't like it. Well, I mean, you could always find out if different license plates for different states are different requirements. Just get an out-of-state car, <laughs> or like, get a license that... plate in another state. Or I, don't I know. think you have, you have to have a registered vehicle to get a license plate, which means you need to have like a residence. And Illinois is the only state I have a residence in, so. Well, that's your problem. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> you need anyway. a summer home. <laughs> so uh, they've just uncovered a primordial Gould queen, and the evidence that's there in the fossil skeleton seems to suggest that this was a predator Gould, not a symbiotic one. And this reinforces Daniel's theory that he's apparently had for some time that the Gould weren't always parasites and actually lived for some time as predators in the oceans of this planet before taking hosts. And um, this just so happens to completely contradict everything that was told to us in the movie. But, um, well, you know, yeah. uh, Dr. Rothman decides to name her Cleopatra or Cleo and suggests that they get a sedimentary timeline before confirming anyone's theories about, you know, predator, parasite, all that stuff. So they put some dirt in a test tube and shake it in the blue liquid and to check for naquita levels. And there is none. Zip, zilch, nada, no naquita in Cleopatra in this dirt. There's no Naquita in Julius or Brutus either, which are apparently other skeletons that they have found. So obviously this indicates that Naquita didn't enter the Gould genetic makeup until much later in their evolution, which is significant. But Daniel doesn't know how yet. Well, yeah, that would, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That would bring up questions. I really enjoyed how, um, you know, as much discussion we've had of why is SG-1, I mean, obviously it's Stargate SG-1, but like, we've noticed why why don't the different SG-1 or what the different SG teams or whatever intermingle a lot more often with you know the issues of the episode so I mm-hmm. really enjoyed how in this one they do yeah and this kind of starts a sort of long-running thing about Jack not being happy about Daniel being loaned out to other SG teams because whenever that happens it means something bad is going to happen to Daniel because story-wise obviously but it Daniel kind of keeps touching things because Daniel keeps touching things mm-hmm. um so Daniel calls over one of the other members of SG-11 loader to help get Cleopatra like crated up presumably so they can take her back to the SGC for further study and then we start switching between like the point of view of some creature that's like in the woods around where the sort of clearing is and like what the members of SG-11 and Daniel are doing as they start sort of like labeling and sorting things out and packing things up. And then the creature charges out from the woods, runs towards Loder, who fires at it. Everyone looks up at the sound of the gunfire to see Loder get knocked to the ground. And the creature continues running towards Daniel, knocks him out, drags him off. And as Rothman yells after Daniel, we cut to the opening credits. No, Daniel. Yes. So first fun fact from the commentary. So the idea for this episode came to Peter when they were shooting the episode Demons and sort of he was just wondering sort of what the like the culture or civilization of ungoulded Unis would be like. 
Uh, He was also has sort of heavily influenced by the movie Enemy Mine starring Dennis Quaid and Louis Gossett Jr. Are you familiar with that movie? No, have not seen. Um, So in that movie, Dennis Quaid is a human and Louis Gossett Jr. is an alien and they become stranded together on an inhospitable planet and must overcome how much they hate each other to like survive and escape this, you know, horrible planet that they've like both crashed on. Oh. So, like, not exactly, but the whole sort of, you know, human alien trying to, you know, get along. Find, find common ground. Find, yeah. Human. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Right. Interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. So, he, like, so, like, he took that to Brad Wright, and Brad was like, okay, go ahead and write it. And he was like, me? And then, you know, so that's how he got his first writing credit. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm too busy directing. I know. And you know, rather myself than... in all the episodes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, sort of rather than passing out... To, to, you know, one of the other writers on staff or something. I, you know, it's pretty cool that he, like, let Peter have a chance at actually writing it. And that is cool, though. Actually, I've noticed on a lot of episodes that he's also listed as, like, a creative... Yeah, creative consultant. Like, yeah. 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 So I feel like he he probably did a lot with keeping the continuity of things as, so. much as, as much as we've noticed. Yes. So... It's going to be on him when we notice things that are not right. <laughs> Peter's not doing it. Now we have somebody to blame. Awesome. Yeah. Good to know. Yeah. Okay. So we come back from the credits and we're now in the SGC with the gate dialing in and they receive SG-11's IDC. The gate opens and Rothman comes running down the ramp and he's like out of breath and all like a little dirty and kind of sweaty. And SG-1 and Hammond head down to find out what's going on because SG-11 weren't even due for a check-in for two more days. And Rothman tells them about the creature that killed Loder and dragged off Daniel, who was still alive, and he believes that the creature wasn't Unas. <sighs> Jack does not like this news, and he describes the Unas to Hammond as a ghoul with teeth and claws. And, well, you, mm, hold on a minute there, Jack, because Daniel believed that 888 was the planet where all ghouls originated. So if there are Unas there, it's possible they might not actually be infested with a ghouled parasite. Which, okay, but they're still sort of big, scary, strong monsters. So, yes. Jack, re- Jack recommends SG-1 and 2 head out right now with P90s to rescue Daniel. And fun fact, this is the first episode in which the P90 gun appears, replacing the MP5 that had been used before this. No fun. I think, um, also I noticed kind of in the beginning of the gate turning on, it looked Mm -hmm. like the security team was in place before the gate started dialing (laughs) or like started coming in. (laughs) Yeah, there's there's often times where like they've received the IDC before, you know, the koosh happens and yeah, things like that that aren't Mm kind of like, yeah, mm -hmm, sure. Mm -hmm, Yep. mm -hmm. Yep. Strike one, Peter. Mm-hmm. So back on 888, Daniel wakes up and starts looking around and he notices that his hands are tied together and he finally sees the creature that has taken him and it is indeed an Unas and the Unas is holding the other end of the rope. And it also looks like the Unas was wounded like on his hand from when Loder shot at it. And the Unas then turns around and notices Daniel is awake and he tugs sharply on the rope, forcing Daniel to stand and off they go wherever the Unas is taking him. And that's one of the shots you used in one of your music videos, isn't it? I believe so. Yes. Yes. Because yes. I, yep, I'm still picking him out. I'm like, aha, <laughs> I'm yep. going to carry a music video. But yeah, no, yeah. that's automatically starting like the amazing expression 
yes. under all that makeup. Yeah. So here, yeah, as Chaka the Unas is Dion Johnstone, and this is actually his third appearance in SG1. Uh, he first appeared as the leader of the Jaffa camp uh, in Rules of Engagement, like Apophis's mm-hmm. training camp, and then he was also one of the foothold aliens. And like throughout this commentary, Peter's just like, "Oh my God, he's amazing. He's fantastic. Like nothing but like love for Dion Johnstone no, as no. Chaka." And, like, a lot of the sort of physicality of Chaka was just Dion, like, doing his thing. Like, there wasn't, like, choreography or, like, do this. It was just him sort of, like, they watched Enemy Mine and another movie called Iceman that I forgot to look up. Oh, Iceman I do know. Oh, okay. To sort of get the sort of the type of movement that they wanted the Unas to, like, have kind of thing mm-hmm. like those two movies were sort of the inspiration for yeah like the physicality but it was all just Dion doing his thing yeah. well let's yeah. join in the love he is amazing yes. round of applause for Dion Johnson yes fantastic so back in the gate room a UAV is being prepped for launch as Jack gives a very very brief mission brief briefing <laughs> very brief mission breaking uh-huh Yep, that's what I wrote. Yep, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, Daniel's been taken by an Unis, and they need to get him back. And mm-hmm. Dr. Rothman then enters the gate room and is like, when were you going to tell me you were going? And Jack's like, I wasn't. So, ooh, okay. Uh, but There's a delightful, awkward moment where he's like, yeah. oh. oh. <laughs> but he lets him go anyway, though. He does, yeah. Which, I mean, I get on a sort of search and rescue, you maybe don't want somebody who doesn't have the physical stamina to be able to do that but also he was there when this happened so he would be useful I think in some capacity yeah and telling him where they were and everything yeah yeah Yeah. so but everyone heads up off heads up the ramp and off they go to p3x888 so they've made it through to the other side and major Coburn, not Sergeant, as Jack calls him. I don't know why Jack, his major Coburn, mm. uh, confirms that, you know, the gate's clear and Jack orders him to keep it that way. And so he and another uh, member of SG2 sort of stay there to sort of keep patrol around the gate while Jack tries to get SG11 on the radio, but gets no response. And okay, I have a question for anybody out there that might be military or like a pilot or something. So when Jack tries to get SG-11 on the radio, he goes, Sierra Gulf 119-er, this is Sierra Gulf 19-er, come in. And my question is, why is Jack saying Niner? Because the only reason you say Niner over the radio is when you're trying to say nine, but you just, you, like you say Niner instead of nine to make sure it's not confused for like five mm, or something yeah. because, you know, radio can be static, ecratic, whatever. Um so, but it's not a sort of like over and out kind of thing. So like he's not calling for SG-119 from SG-19. He's calling SG-11 from SG-1. So why, 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 is, why is Jack saying minor? He shouldn't hmm. be. I don't, I don't understand. I don't know if anybody out there might know and could enlighten me. That would, that would be helpful because I'm, I'm very confused by that <laughs> I, would, I would also like to see the google search for that of like why do you say niner at the end 
of a radio communication? I googled every possible way of wording that question, and the only answer is you say niner, so people know you're saying nine and not five. That is the only answer. And I even asked my husband, who's training to become a pilot, and so is getting a lot of, like, you know, that technical what you say over the radio training to go with that. And he's like, yeah, I got nothing. I don't know. Nope. So I don't know if it's a military thing. I wasn't able, I don't know. If anybody out there might know why Jack says Niner in in his call to SG-11, please write in or tweet at us and let us know because I'm very confused. I would be interested to know myself. So thank you in advance. Yeah, yeah. Just happened to write it. Um, Anyway, so Sam comes over and advises that the UAV is now flying an automated pattern to help in the search, but there's nothing yet. And they do all seem to be a little concerned that neither Daniel nor SG-1 nor SG-11 are answering the radio, but it could also just be that they're out of range. And Till confirms that the UNIS can travel great distances in a short amount of time. So they head out to start the search with the other two members of SG-2 keeping up the weir, keeping up the rear while Coburn and his other teammate stay at the gate. Mm-hmm. Good plan. Yep. So the Unis is still dragging Daniel along and Daniel's stumbling and like obviously exhausted. And even though he knows the Unis can't understand him, he just starts talking about how he can't go on. And so with your permission, I'm going to fall down now. <laughs> I do like that. Although if I were in that situation, I probably would have just kept my mouth shut. I don't even think I would be like mumbling to myself in any capacity. Well, that's, you know, Daniel, he's always trying to communicate and, you know. But in this instance, he doesn't actually like he doesn't look like he's trying to connect yet. He just looks like I've been kidnapped. I'm obviously really pissed about it. I'm just going to be an ass right now. Yeah. And, and, you know, silently resist in any way I can, which is talking to you and swearing at you and saying things to you that you have no idea what they are. Yeah. Make me happy. Yes. Yeah. Which, you know, I get. Yeah. I understand. That works for me. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so Daniel's just like laying on the ground. The Unis is standing over him like, what are you doing? And so Daniel tries to explain rest to the Unis. And they're just, yeah, it's just not, nothing's happening. Nothing's getting through. So he just pulls out his radio and tries to keep it light. Like, there's no need to worry about. This isn't anything you need to worry about. I'm just trying to call my friends. It's fine. This is nothing you need to worry about. And as he goes to call somebody, he actually stands up. And the Unis then ends up smacking the radio away. And it goes crashing into the ground. And then just, like, yanks on the ropes. And Daniel goes sprawling down on the ground again. Here's my question to you, because this was something interesting in the commentary. Why do you think Chaka got mad at Daniel? Oh, I did kind of. Yeah, Um, because really, you'd think he would have gotten upset or like smacked it out of his hand sooner, thinking it might have been a weapon. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I was actually surprised that he let him like hold on to it for a while, especially considering the fact that the humans had like projectile weapons before and right. the radio with the antenna could be mistaken for some mm-hmm. sort of like pointy gun looking thing. Okay. So why he gets angry after him having it for a while, I don't know. So according to Peter, what mm-hmm. Chaka got mad about is that when Daniel has stood up, he's actually on sort of a mound of dirt and is on higher ground and therefore in a superior position. To Chaka. Oh. 
And in a sort of society where there's sort of alphas and betas and, you know, sort of it, there, there is something about an actual physical hierarchy within their society. Oh. That's what got him mad because Daniel is his prisoner. Daniel su- should be subservient to him. That's why mm. he like yanks him back down to the ground too, mm. like not just the radio, but actually, you know, pulling him down to the ground, like below Chaka, like physically below Oh, so really, if he would have stayed on the ground, he could have used the radio. Yeah, if he had just stayed sitting, it would have been fine. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, that's a very interesting point. I like that. Way to go, Peter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Daniel then starts to do what Daniel does best and tries to, like, connect and understand and try and communicate somehow. And he motions, like, the clothes and the necklace-like thing that the Unis is wearing, which would seem to indicate some kind of higher intelligence and like do you have any kind of speech like do you talk but the unis just drags him to his feet and off they go again and we get a quick cut back to the other sg teams and sam says that the uav picked up an rdf signal which we now know is daniel's radio call but it wasn't going for long enough to like locate where it was coming from so they just keep going what does Uh, rdf stand for uh radio Data frequency? What radio? Uh, Detonation field. I don't know. I didn't look that up because it's always just it's just a thing. It's it's, oh, it's the RDF signal. No, what is RDF? Radio direction finding, radio detection finding. Mm. One of those. Radio direction or radio detection. Way less fascinating than I hope it was. I'm getting both of those. All right. Yeah. So a radio radio direction finder. Okay. So yeah. Sorry. Lame. Interesting. Sorry. Lame. Okay. All right. <laughs> um. So the Unas then stops by a river, and Daniel is very grateful for the rest. And we see two moons overhead, which is a reminder that this is indeed an alien planet. Mm-hmm. So the Unis then crouches and starts doing some kind of guttural chanting, which again, this was all just Dion Johnstone coming up with like the sort of the motion and the like the actual vocalization of this, which was cool, yeah, which is very cool. And this is where we get that sort of that huff and the nose flare thing when he gets sort of aggravated with Daniel. Fantastic. So this obviously intrigues Daniel because this is like what he studies, other cultures and stuff. And so he pulls out a digital recorder and starts recording what's happening, like narrating it and trying to get you know that what Chaka is vocalizing on the radio too. And this is just the first scene where it's just like Michael, Michael's so pretty, like the close-ups of him here, the blue eyes, and like the mm. bandana, which is way better than the boonie. Shut up, Brie. Um, just strategically tan. I know. Yeah. He just, yeah, he's so pretty. Um, but I, I get, and I think there's just a lot of quotable lines in this episode too. Like a lot of stuff I remember being like when we be at cons, we would just like shout these lines at each other because they're funny. And like one of them here is like, he goes, um, at the moment, my main concern is that my new friend is an Aboriginal Unis in its ungolded state and that I'm the evening meal. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's not, that's not great. Um, yeah. So he like continues narrating, describing sort of what the Unis looks like, pausing that he might be the juvenile and the the Unis growls at Daniel and he's like, shut up. Yeah. Okay. Got, got it. Shut up. Stop talking. Got Mm -hmm. it. Um, He ends up technically being right though, doesn't he? About, oh, that is a juvenile and stuff. No, that he's the evening meal. 
Um, well, I don't know. I guess they would probably eat him. Yeah. I don't know if it's just the kill or if they do then eat what they kill. Mm. That's difficult to say. But yeah. he didn't study. He didn't study <laughs> Unak lore. No. <laughs> It's difficult to say. My goodness. I question your dedication to Sparkle Motion. <laughs> so we're, th- we're then able to kind of make out what the Unis is saying, and it kind of sounds like, ah, chaka. And so Daniel then tries to imitate what the Una is saying and kind of gets it. And the Unis looks over in surprise, like, oh, my God, you're saying what I like. Why are you saying the same thing I'm saying? This is weird. What's going on? So Daniel starts asking him what that means. He's like, is it the moon? Is it your name? Is it like the moon's in alignment, a moon chant? And the Unis is like, no, obviously, you idiot. And he's like, okay, sorry, not the moon's, got it. Yeah. Um, and then the UAV comes flying overhead and the Unis starts yelling at it like he's frightened. And Daniel tries to assure the Unis it's fine. Like, it's just his friends. It won't hurt him or harm him in any way. Like, it's fine. And then we get a quick cut back to SG-1 and SG-2 continuing their walk through the woods. And Jack tries again to get SG-11 on the radio, but nothing. And Sam mentions that the UAV has probably run out of fuel by this point. And Rothman is like, oh, I get, I bet the Unus got SG-11. It's like, way, way to be positive there, Robert. Yeah. Good. Thanks. Thanks yeah. for that. That's helpful. Yeah. Uh, back with Daniel and the Unus, who have apparently continued on their walk, but they're still by that body of water. And Daniel indicates that he needs water to like to drink. And in the shot, like the camera starts on the water and we see something kind of like swim through it. So like yeah, there's, some, there's something good. in the water. Yeah. Um, so the Unas leads him down to the water and Daniel kneels down and kind of bends over to drink straight from the water. But the Unas stops him and gestures for him to sort of like scan the water first and then scoop the water up with his hands. Which is like, duh, Daniel, like who who just bends know, over to drink just, straight from I water? Don't. Like it's, I was like, what are you doing? Um and then what Daniel is it, holds your first day. I know. Um and then Daniel like holds out his hands, like, I can't do that if my hands are bound. Um, but the Unis like doesn't untie him, but does sort of let go of the rope so Daniel can drink. And so Daniel kind of like splashes water on his face, takes a few drinks, and notices that the Unis isn't really paying attention to him right now. So he's like Splash ah! off he goes. Bye. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, another quick cut back to SG-1 and SG-2 who have made it to SG-11's camp and start, like, looking around and seeing what's going on there. And so the Unas has caught up with Daniel. And Daniel decides to head into the river and swim to the other side to get away as the Unas seems to be afraid of the water. Didn't, so, didn't they just end up going in, like, a giant circle? It seemed like they ended up just right where he was. I don't know. Yeah. It, to me, it just seems like he ended up right back where they started. It's very possible. Yeah. Just from a filming perspective, but I don't know. It seemed like, because they were, you know, they had stopped and then they were walking. So mm-hmm. we're supposed to at least think it's in sort of, you know, different location. All right. Okay. So uh, Daniel gets about like, most of the way to the other side of the river and the Unis is suddenly over there, which I would like to know how that happened. <laughs> I love that reveal though. Of like I Daniel looks so proud of himself. Like, yes, yeah, I got away. And then he turns around and he's like, Oh yeah. Um, and, and Peter's like, that's Michael Shanks like swimming with his hands bound. So he might wear glasses and look like a geek, but he is very physically fit. So it's like, mm. yes, thank you, Peter. We know. Um, <laughs> and, and all the fandom is like, I don't mind. No, I don't mind. Uh, I what, don't mind Daniel? 
No, wet, wet Daniel, please. Thank you. Yes, please. Mm-hmm. Um, so Daniel just kind of stands up in the water like, why, what, crap. Um, and then there's also a bit where Peter had mentioned where Daniel kind of starts realizing, and I don't, I don't know if I really saw it as much, but um, according to Peter, Daniel starts thinking like, if this big, strong creature here, this Unas, is afraid of the water, what's in the water for this, you know, big, strong creature to be afraid of it? So, um, I what I, I don't saw was we notice that the Unas is afraid of the water. Then Daniel hears something and then yeah. it's like, oh, fuck, what's in the water? Yeah. Like, I, yeah, I didn't get it just from Daniel looking at the Unas, but... Yeah, Daniel right. looking at the Unis, then hearing or sensing something behind him. Um, and so we see, again, that thing swimming through the water towards Daniel, who sort of scurries backwards out of the water. And the thing leaps leaps out of the water. And it's a gold symbiote that can what? fly, apparently. It's got, like, bat wings on it. I know. It's kind of cool. Like, it's gross, but it's kind of cool. Um, luckily, the Unis has very quick reflexes and basically, like, grabs it out of the air before it gets to Daniel and just, like, snaps its neck off. And then the Unis reaches out and, like, smears the blue blood of the Gould all over Daniel's face, which, like, ew, ew. gross. Uh, the Unis then starts yelling, Kekka, at Daniel, who, you know, tries to understand what it means. Dead, danger, Gould, don't know. And then Daniel starts sort of creeping back towards the water, and the Unis, like, tugs on the rope, yelling, Ka, okay, got it. Ka means no. We got that. Mm-hmm. So, and to make sure Daniel really gets it, the Unis, like, knocks him down again, and Daniel's like, yep, cool, not going in the water. Got it. Yep. Yeah. So back at SG-11's camp, Rothman leads everybody over to where Loder was attacked, and they start looking around, and one of the SG-2 guys, this is Major Griff, uh, starts examining Loder's body, and Jack asks Rothman about, like, what Loder was doing when the Unis attacked, and Rothman's like, he was just packing up fossils. It's like the same thing they've been doing for the last three weeks. No one was doing anything that should have, like, provoked the Unis into attacking. They've been, everybody had been doing okay. the same thing they'd Everybody's been doing. Doing the business. Just doing their thing. Uh, Tilt comes over and confirms to Jack that the size and shape of the footprints of the creature do match those of an Unis. And one of the other members of SG-2, this is Pierce, uh, returns with Major Hawkins, who is the leader of SG-11, who is just kind of standing in the woods in a daze. And he still seems fairly out of it at this point. And Jack asks him about the rest of his team. He confirms that another member, Sanchez, is dead, but then they got split up and he's not sure about the others. And he's like, oh, my God, they're all dead. And Jack really doesn't either confirm or deny that fact, but just says that Hawkins is going to have to stick with them since they can't spare anybody to take him back to the SGC. And Hawkins is like, got it. I can do that. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. This is a fun fact from the commentary. Uh, apparently when they were filming this scene, Christopher Judge's mom was on set. So Chris was on his like absolute very best behavior that day. <laughs> <laughs> Which, if you've listened to, if you know anything about how Chris Judge usually is on, like, the set, like, it's like, mm-hmm, mom is going to do that to you. Yep. Yeah, I was Rich Judge usually on set, doing whatever the hell he feels like. Doing a prank, saying whatever. Yeah, falling asleep sometimes. and Shenanigans yeah. abound. Yep, 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 yep. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, oh, I can't wait till we get to season seven, and there's one where they get one back on Chris. <laughs> Sorry. Seven. I don't know these I'm, things. I'm sorry. Okay. 
Um, so we have a very quick cut back to Daniel and the Unas who are approaching a cave, and the Unas picks up a large stick near the entrance before leading Daniel inside. And it's apparently starting to maybe get a little, like, dusk-y, and the SG teams have reached the riverbank that Daniel and the Unas were at earlier. Rothman's, like, bent over double, out of breath, using his inhaler, and Sam suggests to Jack that they should rest for a while, and Jack's like, all right, yeah, cool, but tells everyone no fire and to keep their boots on and he'll take the first watch. And then we get like a shot of a symbiote in the water, like looking up at him. Mm -hmm. And back with Daniel and the Unas, we see why the Unas has picked up the stick before entering the cave. It's so he could start a fire and spit roast the dead Gould for dinner. Yeah. Um, This is apparently Peter's favorite scene in the whole episode. Um, I mean, it's mine too, really. It's just sort of, you know, a lot of praise for, like, Michael's and Dion's acting, especially Michael, because he the way he describes it is, like, Michael has to, like, carry both sides of the conversation here. Like, Michael has mm-hmm. to be Daniel and also, like, Chaka, like, for the audience to, yeah. like, sort of narrate what Chaka is saying and doing mm-hmm. and stuff. Yeah. It's just like, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. This is good stuff. I know, like, don't say ka till you try it. <laughs> oh, yes. That's another one of those lines that just comes up. All the time. <laughs> that might be like one of the all time top 10 lines ever spoken. Oh, yeah. Kathy, you try it. Yeah. And right. uh, like, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Yeah. Peter was like, just in case you need a reminder, this man does Hamlet in the off season. Mm-hmm. Michael, Michael has done Hamlet and a whole bunch of stuff. Anyway. Um, so, you know, Daniel keeps trying to communicate with the Unas, but it's just generally not really going anywhere. And the Unas then hands Daniel the, like the head of the now cooked symbiote and says non and takes a bite of like the other end of the symbiote and eats it which was apparently a fruit roll-up we know (laughs) oh it was yeah oh good (laughs) but now we know why the unis is like teeth are green well gould blood is blue well yeah and that's kind of what the color of the unis's teeth are the whole time so if he's eating symbiotes and not brushing his teeth oh yeah. yeah okay I didn't really yeah. notice the colors. I mean, I noticed they were, you know, monstery, you know, sharp, spiky teeth. But I didn't really notice yeah. the color. But okay. They're kind of green. Look it up. Okay. Uh, so Daniel then tries to figure out what non means. And eventually they get to it meaning eat. So right. Yes. Eat, eat the gould. Uh, Daniel's not really in the mood for gould. Yeah. So he just kind of tosses it back and says, ka. And the unis tosses it back with non. And we get ka non con and it turns into a game of like toss the gould head and they're actually going to start laughing and having fun and then oh whoops daniel tosses it into the fire oh no gould for me so he then reaches into another pocket and pulls out like like a protein bar kind of looking thing Mm-hmm. Um, to which Daniel says, non, and the Una says, ka, and Daniel replies with the, as we've already mentioned, the very oft-quoted, don't say ka, so you've tried it, which, I mean, same to you, Daniel, you said ka yes. before you tried it, so, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, um, but anyway, so Daniel takes a bike, says, so like, mm, like, with his eyes closed, like, he's very, very thoroughly enjoying this protein bar, and holds it out for the Unas who, like, he, like, licks it and then, like, takes a bite and tries to make that mmm sound, too, but kind of comes out more like a, like a purr, almost. Like, yeah. the, like that, like the sort of happy cat noise. And then Daniel comments that this is how he met his father-in-law. 
which I thought was a nice callback to the movie. So, yeah. I thought it was really interesting in that scene how, like, he took one bite out of it and then gave it to the, like, I, I, I would have just, you know, split it in half and gave him the other half because he only got, like, one bite of food. I was kind of figuring he had another one in another pocket. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, I don't know, but... Yeah, but again, just in that scene, like, what Dion is doing through the mask, and he's sort of doing something, like, with his mouth, where he's like, ooh, 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 like, ooh, I don't, it's just, yeah, Yeah, what he does is so good, so good. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Amazing! Yes. So, back with the SG teams, Jack is sitting near a sleeping Rothman, and wakes him up to ask if he's noticed anything weird about Hawkins, and Rothman's just like, weird, Jack's like, different, different, odd. Odd, Roth, well, like just like mm-hmm. come on, and Rothman's just like no, that's just, like just how Hawkins is. But also, Rothman isn't good with people because they're too recent. <laughs> it's very funny. Uh, the camera then sort of pans over to Hawkins, who is sleeping with his back to the rest of the group, and his eyes pop open, and then they glow. Oh. Man, damn it! I kind of thought that coming though. Uh, so back in the cave, um, another off quoted line between me and my friends. I'm in a cave. <laughs> just, I, a lot just has to do with the way Michael's just like, I'm in a cave. Yes. Um, and so he's like talking into the recorder again, uh, looking at the various drawings and like pictographs on the wall and sort of narrating what he's seeing. And it seems like the Unis do have an understanding of what the ghoul do in, in terms of like taking them as hosts that they, an Unis can become possessed by a Gould symbiote. Uh, he comments that it's weird that only those that were possessed left the gate and not like all of them. And he also comments that the bone necklace that the Unis is wearing might actually be a way to protect against the ghoul, taking them as a host, not just like a decorative thing. Mm-hmm. Um, further drawings seem to indicate the taking of a captive is some kind of rite of passage, like the Maasai warriors who have to kill a lion in order, in order to be recognized as like a senior member of the tribe. So Daniel's like, ah, that's what's going on here. Got it. And Daniel so, then. Who do you think they normally capture if not part of the SG team, like other tribes or. Yeah. Or I don't know if there's just, you know, other wildlife on the planet that we haven't seen. I don't, I don't know. Cause I do kind of wonder that. Well, I mean, yeah. Cause in the drawing, it's like, it's like a man. Well, you know, like man, like yeah. figure. So yeah. I, I had assumed they kind of kidnapped somebody from another tribe. <laughs> it could be. And you know, there's a Stargate there. So we don't often run into other civilizations using the gate, but I'm sure they are out there. So mm. it could just be, you know, other people traveling through the gate and seeing what's where kind of a thing. Yeah. Uh, Daniel then turns around and the Unus is right behind him. And Daniel's like, I get what you're trying to do. Like, this is cool. I get it. We don't have to like be enemies. We can be friends kind of a thing. Uh, but the Unus just kind of shoves him up against the wall and uses one of his claws to like make a long scratch on Daniel's cheek, and Daniel yells, Ka, and Daniel then asks, 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 Keka, like, are you, like, me, kill, me, me, kill, is that what's happening here, and the Unis then walks over to one of the drawings that looks like it's just an Unis right now, uh, rubs Daniel's blood on the wall, and then uh, he basically adds uh, an image of, like, a human being dragged by that Unis, so Daniel's like, apparently I've been marked for death, 
So mm-hmm. yeah, not good. Not good. No. Uh, it's now the next morning, and SG one and SG two are getting ready to move out. And Tilk is down, sort of looking over the river, then turns to head back to camp as Sam calls that they're getting ready to move out. And we again get that shot of the symbiote swimming through the water towards Tilk. And Tilk seems to like sent like his like Jaffa senses are tingling or something and like activates his staff weapon and shoots the symbiote as it flies out of the water towards him. But like his back is still turned to the water this whole time. And it's just like super badass Tilk. <laughs> yeah. Moment. Um, and then, but then the other interesting thing is when the dead symbiote falls back into the water, there's like this swarm of other symbiotes that go to like cannibalize it. Yeah. Which that's gross. Um <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's you know. Nasty. There, there are no nasty. redeeming qualities about that whatsoever. No, absolutely not. No. Um, so everyone comes running, obviously, at the sound of the staff weapon being fired. And Tilk just, like, turns his staff weapon on all of them, ordering them to put their weapons down, as one or more of them may now be possessed by a ghoul. No. Sam so tried... Did... Yeah. Was there any commentary about kind of this, like, the... So I was kind of watching the episode thinking to myself, like, okay, if those are early Unas and those mm-hmm. are early Gould, mm-hmm. so those Gould are not the I'm going to pretend to be a god for world domination and, and you know, planetary domination, if you will. Like, they're not that evolved in the Gould chain. So mm-hmm. what do they gain by possessing unas or thus humans um so no that is not addressed in the commentary but is a question i ran across a lot just sort of doing general research of like what other people like on the internet have said about this episode and like looking back on it that that is sort of one of the lingering questions of well there it kind of leads to several questions a how how did the gould know they could do that um b why why did they do that? Um, and then D, how did they know how to use the gate to leave? Uh, and then, yeah, how did they then become, I, I will impersonate your God and dominate you all? Right. Yeah. And none of, none of those questions are answered by anybody, as far as I know. <laughs> none of these things are ever addressed. Nope. Nope. <laughs> Perfect. Mm-hmm. Well, there there is in season five, there's a sort of follow up to this episode, but it's it, it's more to do with the Unis side of this puzzle than the Gould side of the puzzle, which I is another remember. excellent episode that I like a lot. Um, I do. But. Yeah, this this episode did tingle in my brain. The fact that we do run into this character Unas again. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, those are those are sort of the big lingering questions of this episode of, yeah, how did we get from point A to where we are now? This is why I love fandom so much is because they will ask these questions and how, what is the evolutionary path of the species? Surely I must know. I did find something that mentioned there is a Stargate RPG that is apparently considered canon. And in that RPG, a Gould possessed an Asgard. And no. that's who we see in the movie. Because if you remember oh. from the movie, the ghoul looked like, you know, the Asgard little gray aliens, but the little gray alien would had possessed the human. So 
I don't know if it was supposed to sort of be like the symbiote jumped from Asgard to human and it was just sort of a mental I don't I don't know mm. I didn't dive too deep into that side of things but that is apparently one theory floating around out there hmm. so yeah. interesting well I mean it's not out of the realm of possibility because obviously the Asgard know about the Gould and mm-hmm. would have been fighting them had they not already been preoccupied yeah, and it's possible they had fought them a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Uh, um, like, you know, before pre-Replicator, hmm. it's possible, even though the Asgard are in a completely different galaxy than the Gould. But Well, I mean, somebody had to put the Stargate there. I know. Well, we the, the ancients did. <laughs> we put the Stargate there. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, like having the Stargate means literally opens a doorway of yes. more intelligent beings going to that planet. Yeah. And who knows, maybe the Asgard just dropped by that planet to be like, hey, what's here? And one of them. Go like, oh, shit, run away. Oh, crap. Uh, Damn it. Uh, we have started an entire <laughs> planetary demise again. Whoops. Again. Yeah. Damn it, Asgard. Mm-hmm. Okay, are we ready to move on from the questions? Yes, <laughs> I'm done now. Okay. So Sam tries to insist that she doesn't sense anything as she usually can with the Gould. And Tilka's like, well, you might be infected yourself and be faking it. And Jack asks why Tilk thinks there's school nearby. And he just kind of like, is that that thing in the river behind me? And then uh, Rothman then tries to insist himself that there's no live ghoul, that they've been here for weeks and not seen anything. And Tilk is like, again, you might be infected and be faking it. And so Jack kind of asks Sam, like, are you like, are you sure? Like, what's going on? And she's like, yeah, I don't sense anything. And then Rothman tells them the thing about not finding any Naquita in the fossils because it's not Sam sensing the symbiote. It's Sam sensing the Naquita in the symbiote that mm-hmm. lets, you know, Sam sets that, you know, sets off her little Sam tangly thing. Mm-hmm. Um, we get a bit fighter Sam. Yeah. <laughs> um, we get a little more arguing from Griff about like, you know, who's infected, who's not, what's going on. But really what it all boils down to is that Tilk is the only one who can't be possessed by a gold symbiote. So he's the only one they can trust to like actually be himself. So he's going to go on alone and rescue Daniel. Yay. So Tilk radios to Coburn to advise him and his um, partner at the gate of the situation. And fun fact here, the guy with Coburn is actually the set dresser for the show, Jason Hawkins. Oh, really? Who The character Hawkins is not named for him. It's actually based on a character from the movie Predator, which also oh. influenced this movie quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but they had to pull him into the show because an extra just didn't show up one day. Oh, great. <laughs> they, they like needed another guy. And they're like, you look like you could be on the team. Get in there. Um, <laughs> you. It's, it's the old Hollywood dream. You. Yeah. Get you. in there. Yeah. Um, Make and, all your Hollywood uh, dreams come true. Um, also in this specific scene, he kept like grabbing his radio when like the radio call like from Tilk was coming in because as like a crew member, he's used to having to like talk on the radio. But so he just like as himself was like reflexively grabbing the radio to like talk, even though he had no lines. <laughs> and so he like ruined a whole bunch of takes because he kept grabbing his radio. <laughs> <laughs> so whoops. Anyway. Um so after that, they were like, you'll never work in this town again. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Yeah, um, behind the camera. 
Yeah. So uh, what Tilt tells Coburn, like he's going to restrain everybody where they are and continue on alone. And Coburn should come get them and take them back to the SGC, exercising extreme caution as there's no way to know who is or is not possessed by Gould at this point. Uh, he signs off and then tosses a bunch of zip ties at Jack and tells him to tie everyone else up. And then Tilk's going to tie him up. And yeah, like Tilk, Tilk is not joking around here. Like he's gone into like super serious, like Jaffa mode at this point. And he's making complete sense. He is like, yes, this is the only way yeah. to proceed from here, honestly. Mm-hmm. I mean, what's what's the what's the rule we made of like, oh, <laughs> uh, page til- number two, Tilk? Page- Page two in the manual is just Tilk. Yeah. 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 Lockdown protocol page two is just Tilk. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I think is what it was. Yeah. So back in the cave, Daniel has woken up, but sees that the Unas is still sleeping. And Daniel picks up a very large rock and seems to be about to bash his head in. But he just, he can't, he can't do it. That's not who he is. So he drops the rock, which wakes up the Unis, but Daniel's like, it's fine, it's fine, I'm not, it's fine. And the Unis then leads, leans on its hand that was shot earlier and winces in pain, and Daniel offers to help if the Unas will trust him. Back with SG1-SG2, everyone has been tied up, and Tilk is taking care of Jack, and Jack whispers, is like, it has to be Hawkins. And Tilk is like, just trust me. Jack's like, what if I'm not Jack? And then Tilk's like, well, then I wasn't talking to you. Which is just like, <laughs> Tilk is funny. Tilk is so funny. I love it. I wasn't talking to you. I wasn't talking. Uh, so Tilk walks off. Major Griff is annoyed because, you know, what if there's another Unis that finds him? And Zam and everybody's just like, we had no choice. This was the only play here. And Hawkins just looks pissed off. And so back in the cave, Daniel is using tweezers to get the bullet out of the Unis's hand and mentions the story of Androcles and the lion, which how familiar are you with the story of Androcles and the lion? Isn't that just where he pulls the thorn out of the lion's foot? Or is, so that he, is that some other fable? No, it, it is basically that one. So, okay. so sort of like the full story is like there's this runaway Roman slave who takes shelter in a cave Cave happens to belong to a lion. Lion has a thorn in his paw, which the slave removes, and they, like, become friends. Years later, the slave returns to Rome, is captured and sentenced to death because, you know, he ran away. And the 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 death is to, like, be carried out basically, like, by mauling in the Circus Maximus in Rome. Oh, right, um, like you do. Like you do. And so guess who one of the animals set to do the mauling is? It's the lion from the cave, and he remembers the slave and so doesn't kill him. Oh, I did not know the other half of that. Yeah, so most people probably know the story as one of, like, Aesop's fables. Mm -hmm. It's sort of, like, where we know it today. But the earliest known record of the story is from the 2nd century AD by the author Aulus Gellius in his book Attic Nights. And this account in his book is a retelling of Appian's story from his apparently lost work, Wonders of Egypt. Uh, Appian claimed to be an eyewitness to the events of the story, as well, like sort of the end of the story, the like the attempted execution mm-hmm. part of this. And uh, Appian is quoted as saying, afterwards, we used to see Androclus with the lion attached to a slender leash, making the rounds of the tabernet throughout the city. Androclus was given money, the lion was sprinkled with flowers, and everyone who met them anywhere exclaimed, this is the lion, a man's friend. This is the man, a lion's doctor. Oh. So. The lion's doctor. Mm-hmm. I like so, that. I like so, yes. that a lot. 
That's that's yeah, that's the whole origin of Androcles in the line. Mm, all right. So the bullet gets taken out and the Unis goes chaka and Daniel still has no idea what that means. Daniel then tries to like get the Unis to let him go, it's like, you know, we we can be friends. We don't have to do this. You can just let me go. But no, and so Daniel manages to like pick up a rock and hold on to it as the Unis just tugs on the rope and starts dragging Daniel again, but like further into the cave. And Daniel manages to use the rock to like write something on one of the cave walls as he's dragged past. And the Unis stops and like looks at it and tries to read it, but obviously has no idea what it says or anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, back at the camp with the SG teams, Tilk has left and they're arguing over who might be a ghoul. And Jack is like, okay, if you're a ghoul, raise your hand conveniently as Hawkins like breaks out of his restraints as the eyes blow. <laughs> <laughs> Like, that was just corny. I loved awesome it. Sort of way. I loved it. Yeah. In an awesomely corny sort of way. Yes. Yes. Um, so he picks up one of the guns, goes for Jack. Jack starts yelling for Tilk and he's like, Tilk, hey. And like Hawkins is really, really close. Tilk finally shows up and takes out Hawkins. And my question here is why did Tilk shoot him with the staff weapon and not his Zat? Because Tilk has his Zat on him. Why oh, did he that's... have to actually kill Hawkins? Uh, well, I don't know. Is there any sort of way that they would have been able to remove the ghoul? Or would, would are you saying the intention would have been to, like, interrogate? Well, no. Like, why did he have to kill one of his, like, colleagues and work, t- like, teammates? You know? It just... Yeah, we The Toker can remove symbiotes. They have done it before. We have seen them do this with Skara and Chlorel. Like... That Toker can remove symbiotes. So I don't know. it was gut instinct. I don't know. Um, but the other, the sort of funny note here is this is now the second time that the entirety of SG-11 has been wiped out on a mission. Oh no! <laughs> Which no. and the first time it happened was in rules of engagement with Dion Johnstone. Oh, that's right. They all went missing. <laughs> they all went missing and were killed by Apophis. You know, new thing. So uh, apparently, Dion Johnstone is very bad luck for SG-11. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been um, amazing if he was in a later episode where he was a member of SG-11. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would have been good. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, S- uh, once again, all of SG-11 is now dead. Oh, yeah. do SG-11. Um, yeah. went out for your homies. Mm-hmm. And so, so the reason, like, Tilk sort of delayed coming back is he, like, had to wait and make sure Hawkins was the only one, which... Uh, well, so Tilk starts letting everyone out and he gets to Rothman when something catches his attention. And I think it's like what he notices is that his wrists are bloody as if he was trying to escape and like nobody else had like done that. I it was think. something about his wrist being bloody. Yeah. Okay. Which. But he should have been strong enough to get out. Yeah. Like you don't need to have the strength of a ghoul to break zip ties. You can actually just do it yourself. Yeah. Have you ever have you seen how to do it? Yes, but I forget. It's it's something of the angle. So basically, what you do. Um, so if you if you if anybody out there, if you're ever in a situation where your wrists get zip tied together, what you want to do is basically like bend your elbows and very quickly and forcefully like shove your elbows back like past your ribs because your ribs are wider than are wider than your wrists, and so just the force of that will just snap a zip tie without yeah. really much damage to yourself. Like you might get like a little like plastic burn or something, but it will just like 
snap. So isn't that supposed to be the same way you also can theoretically um, get your wrists free if they are duct taped? Um, I believe it's the same arm motion. Possibly. I don't know about that. Mm-hmm. I just I happen to. Have you ever seen those, like, there's a couple different, like, YouTube channels that do it, but, like, Wired is one of them where they, like, get an expert to review, like, people in movies doing, like, the things the expert does, and they had, like, an escape artist Mm -hmm. reviewing things, and one of them, they explained, was, like, yeah, getting out of, like, zip ties and stuff, and yeah, so, you know, yeah, I don't know about duct tape, but that's how you get out of zip ties, so. Alrighty then. Okay, um, so, yeah, so, oh, shit, Rothman's a ghoul, too, uh, he (laughs) grabs... He grabs Tilk's staff weapon and, like, kind of, like, shoves it up in his face, knocking him down. And according to Peter, breaking several of them during the filming, which was several thousand dollars worth of props. <gasps> Ooh. <laughs> Why didn't yeah. they change that after, like, he broke one? Because they didn't think he'd do it three times, but he did. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, yeah. Um. So Rothman then fires at Griff, who takes a hit to sort of, like, the shoulder, upper arm area. Jack manages to grab one of the P90s, fires at Rothman, who finally falls down dead. And we have now lost Dr. Robert Rothman. Oh, Pooh. I kind of mm. liked him. Yeah. Uh, Peter was not happy. This was not Peter's decision. This was somebody else. It oh, was like somebody else said, like, we got to kill the, we got to kill the dude. Yeah. I mean, not necessarily Rothman, but like, we need another thing here. And it was like, well, I guess oh, it's going to be finale. kind of, Yeah. Another ghouled thing. Um, you gotta go. Yeah. So uh, Griff is in a lot of pain. He'll be fine. Sam then comments that they deserve a decent burial. And Griff says they'll take care of it while. So like he and Pierce will take care of it while SG-1 go off to get Daniel. My question to you, how long do you think Rothman was a ghoul? I was wondering that too. Because doesn't somebody mention that? Like, like yeah, he, he could have been, been a... one the whole time. Yeah. Um, I think it happened overnight. Like when, okay. When they were sleeping. When they were just there. Because okay. I would have to know that, like, this evolution of symbiotes would have tried to take some sort of other opportunity on Earth, like when he yeah. made it all the way back to Earth, if it was that early. Yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah. 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 Okay. So I, I think it was overnight. Okay. Although, if they had been listening to us and they had some sort of, I don't know, quarantine or like (laughs) (laughs) immediately every time since they were coming back from a known ghouled planet yep they would have been able to detect it so yeah so yeah but anyway i I don't think it was the whole time i think it was overnight okay that you know the ghouled bat thing just (laughs) right (laughs) okay All right, so we get a quick cut back to the Unis and Daniel, who's still, like, making marks on the wall as he's being dragged to the cave. And Jack, Sam, and Tilk have finally made it to the cave and start looking things over. And Tilk suddenly calls out, this way! And Jack and Sam head over, and we see what Daniel wrote on the cave wall earlier. It was an arrow pointing the way they were going, with this way written next to it. (laughs) Again! (laughs) Tilk is funny! Tilk's hilarious! (laughs) Yes. 
So Daniel and uh, Andy Unas have made it to what seems to be sort of the main cavern of this cave system. And we see sort of several fires going as if this is like a central meeting place for this Unas tribe. And Daniel tries to make a joke about the Unas' parents not understanding. And then there's this like loud, deep growl and a very large shadow appears in one of the other entrances to this cavern. And both Daniel and the Unas look on in fear as a very, very large Unas enters the cave and uh, yeah this this actor is vincent hammond apparently and he's like actually like seven feet tall oh holy crap so yeah so he's one of those actors that does a lot of this sort of prosthetic costuming character work in stuff when you need a big tall something uh like he was apparently like one of the predators Mm. so yeah hey uh a very quick cut back to sg1 following along with daniel's markings and so this, what we'll call him the Alpha Unas approaches. Uh, but the one with Daniel steps in front and says, ka, 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 like, don't kill him. And there's a bit of an argument in Unas with the Alpha when SG-1 show up with guns drawn. Daniel spots them, tells them not to shoot. So they kind of like keep their weapons up, but take a more sort of defensive stance for the moment. Mm-hmm. Um the Alpha sees them and roars very loudly, and we see more Unis start to gather around whatever is about to happen here. Mm-hmm. There's some more arguing between the two Unises, and Daniel starts trying to explain what he believes is happening to the rest of SG-1. And Daniel goes, this started out as some sort of rite of passage. I think the alpha male was expecting the younger one to offer me up for some kind of feast. Instead, I think the younger one's trying to bring me into his clan. Oh man, that yeah. is that is not going to go over well. Do you think it's Unas or Unases or Unai? That was I was going to ask you. The same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote Unases because that's what felt right, but I was like, I had that mental thought of Unai, Unis. Is oh, Unas already plural? Unases, Unai. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> but I, like I had the nice. same thought. <laughs> what should the plural of Unas be? Let us know. My Most vote is Unai. Unai. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the rest of SG-1 seem a little hesitant to believe this whole, like, bringing Daniel into the tribe thing, but it seems to be true because kind of whenever anyone approaches Daniel, the one that was, like, with him tries to, like, step in front and protect him, and the alpha moves to attack Daniel, and Daniel actually ducks down and yells, ka kick ah which surprises the alpha enough that he's like, whoa, what's talking? Why can I understand what you're saying? Um, the alpha then turns and, like, smacks the younger one out of the way and he turns back towards Daniel. Jack and Sam open fire. Obviously, uh, he stumbles back riddled with bullet holes, very wounded but not dead. The younger Unas recovers and attacks the attacks the Alpha, finally drowning him in a shallow pool of water. He then gives a very loud roar and all the other Unas bow to him and he is now the Alpha. Ooh, man. Mm-hmm. They so totally disobeyed what's the what's the star trek rule never get involved <laughs> involved in a land war in asia i don't know yeah <laughs> no, that's, that's uh, <laughs> i don't know the prime directive you're not oh. supposed to get involved then stargate doesn't have the prime directive i know i'm just saying you know star things okay <laughs> I'm just going to start crossing them all and just refer to it as star things. Okay. That's going to go over well. 
Uh, yes, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure everyone will be fine with it. Yep. Uh, so the Unis then turns back to Daniel and says, Daniel, which is like really cool because now the Unas can like speak, has like learned Daniel's name, which is cool. Yeah. Um, and kind of like gestures for Daniel to follow him deeper into the cave. And Daniel's like, ha, I got to go back with my friends. Uh, but also thanks for, you know, saving my life and stuff. And then goes Chaka, which still have no idea what that means. Um, the Unas kind Apparently, of just. It was awesome. Yeah. Uh, the Unas just growls and turns uh, to head towards like the rest of the Unas. And it then stops and turns back also saying Chaka. And according to the commentary, this shot was very purposefully designed to look like that shot of the Bigfoot. If you notice oh. with the sort of chart with like the, the, yeah, that one where like over the shoulder with like the arm down. It's yeah, just this, it was okay. Cause it yeah. was very strategic. Yeah. And so, art, artfully shot. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. So uh, he then says Chaka back and Jack's like, what does that mean? And Daniel's like, I have no idea, but maybe I can come back and find out. And that yeah. is the end. I was surprised that like during that last exchange, Daniel like talked to the Unis of like, no, my friends are here. I got to go with them instead of literally gesturing. Look, my people are here. Well, he, <laughs> my he did. tribe, my clan, my friends are literally behind me. I must he, go with them. He just kind of talked to him of like, my friends are here. There is a very subtle kind of like shrug gesture towards SG1. It is very slight, but he's like, he's like, ka. I got to go back with my friends there. He does, but it, it is very subtle. Isn't it? It wasn't. Yeah. A sort of grand gesture. Like this is my tribe. Yeah. Like, like literally they're behind me now. I must go with them. Yeah. Well, you know, I think, I think Chaka gets it. Cause he can see that, you know, they all look the same. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but yeah, so yeah. that's the end. All right. So how many fan theories are out there on what Chaka actually means? Chaka. Oh, that I didn't look up. Oh my god, I thought that would have been like because numero uno. That's just that's his name. Numero unus. It's the Unus's name. The Unus's name is Chaka. Well, I feel like they yeah. called him that just because they didn't know what the word means. <laughs> oh, <laughs> okay. Like, no. So that, there was one theory out there that like he says Chaka a lot because the Unuses don't have pronouns, so they just use their name like they speak in like the third person. Mm-hmm. So like they don't have like I say this I cut you they just chaka do this chaka say whatever is sort of what they're saying. That was that that was the one theory I stumbled across. But so he's saying his name the whole time. Yes. I don't think that works in all the contexts. Okay. So I kind of started to put together in my brain that it might either be like friend or family or I don't know. I would have to watch it again. But man, well, let's you can see. look that up. Uh, 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 I don't know. Chaka was named after, uh, was it Land of the Lost? The little sort of Neanderthal boy oh. named Chaka. Hmm. Uh, that's where the name actually came from. But nope. 
Nothing about theories of that. I think everybody just decided Chaka was his name and nobody went any further than that. Chaka was his name, therefore he's just referring to himself in third person the whole time? Yup. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so, memos for this week, what you got? Um, I feel like they need some sort of GPS. Well, I mean, GPS wouldn't really work. You know, some sort of beacon or tracking device on their person, not just radios. That probably would have helped, like, a lot. Yep. Okay. Yep. Got it. Yep. Um, so, episode titles, the first ones, the Unus are the first hosts. Makes sense the first, about the first ones. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as foreign territory, foreign territories, nothing too exciting. In, in French, it was called primitives. Hmm. In Czech, we had the first hosts instead of the first hmm. ones. And in German, it was just die unas, which is the unas. Um, Always very original. Yes. Uh, final thoughts on this episode. What do you, what do you think? We know I love this episode. I mean, it was a very good one, but honestly, what I ended up, I mean, like I said the whole time, what I ended up really loving about this episode was, um, what's his name, Dion? Dion, yeah. Yeah, was Dion and his expressiveness under all that makeup. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's very impressive. It's very, very impressive, yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. very, very good. Well done, man. I really think you should have won a daytime Emmy for that one. Well, it would just been a regular Emmy, not because this isn't a daytime show. So it would have just been a regular Emmy. Daytime, nighttime, all-time Emmy? (laughs) (laughs) Can there be, like, a special category in the Emmys for, you know, character acting or, you know, prosthetic creature acting? Because that'd be cool. Best makeup. Yeah. I I don't know. Oh, uh, other like, just a little fun thing. So, like in that scene, like so, with the final scene in the cave with like all of the Unis like in the background, it's still just Vincent Hammond and Dion Johnstone like duplicated because <laughs> they only had like the two Unis costumes. Like, the, like oh. as far as like the actual like prosthetic, they put like different clothes on them, but it's still just those two guys. <laughs> in, oh, like, that's funny. Because that's all they had. I did very much notice there were no Lady Unas. Yeah. Lady well, Unai. So, yeah, it makes sense if there were just two dudes running yeah. around a cave. Yep. So. Two dudes in a cave. That's another the, name. The alternate for title. <laughs> the alternate title. <laughs> Got it. Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, before we wrap up for this week, we have an email. Yay! Okay. Who's um, it from? I believe this is a new writer. I don't recognize any from Andrew. Okay. Um, in the UK. Oh. We have some foreign listeners. Thanks. Um, and this is about uh, the episode Legacy and the outdated troops of mental health on TV. So Legacy is that episode where Daniel gets infected with the those little bugs from Michello and is committed to a psychiatric facility because they think he has schizophrenia. Yes, okay. So, just a reminder. So that's, that's where this is coming from. Um, so this is kind of long, so bear with me. Um, he goes, first off, thank you for an interesting for me to listen to while I drive my hour-long commute. It is just unfortunate that SG-1 isn't really available to stream in the UK. Oh, that makes me sad. Um, Secondly, I enjoyed the episode as a whole, but didn't like the treatment of Daniel. Even at the time in the setting of SG-1, it would be highly illegal to treat Daniel like they did. Without some kind of court order, you can't forcibly detain someone or give them medication without permission. There are a number of laws in the UK that prevent doing things like that to anyone, including the mentally ill, so I imagine there would be similar laws in North America. And yeah, there are. 
Um, I mean, there are some rules if the person is like actually a physical danger to themselves. But again, that's only for sort of like limited amount of time where you can sort of keep somebody against their will like that. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, uh, he continues, in an ideal world, a Daniel would ask in consent to treatment. If he was deemed too unfit to make these decisions, they should appoint a representative to make these decisions for him. In the context of the show, it probably should have been Jack, which, yes, I agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a close personal friend of Daniel and useful knowledge about this situation to guide the treatment. Critically, the representative should have Daniel's best interest at heart and Jack would fit this perfectly. Yes. Yeah, agreed. So when Daniel was hallucinating, they should have offered some kind of antipsychotic and something to help manage his moods as he was shown visually distressed by the hallucinations. All they appeared to do was give him some time, which was probably a good idea, but the only good idea so far. Going to the MRI scan, I have to wonder if that was a good idea as they spend way too much time trying to figure out the outlying the outlining cause instead of trying to treat the symptoms. Get Daniel to a point where he isn't freaking out about his hallucinations before exposing him to stressful tests. Then maybe try to figure out the cause and come up with a long-term plan for recovery or treatment. To use a broken leg as an analogy, give pain meds, then maybe investigate and then maybe reset the bone. Don't ask a million questions on exactly how the leg was broken before giving pain meds. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a very good yeah very good analogy. Andrew there. Sounds like a healthcare professional. I'm excited yeah. for I'm excited for his input. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the locked facility, he should have someone like Jack looking out for him. No medical facility should let their patient get into the state that Daniel did. The fact that he looked like he hadn't slept in some time is evidence of uh, oh evidence of neglect and would count as abuse under UK law. Next to nothing is seen to be done to ensure that Daniel was eating, drinking, or sleeping. You need that to make any kind of recovery. Jack should have complained about Daniel's well-being when he saw him in the locked facility and called the police when they forcibly medicated Daniel. It's a shame that this depiction of treatment of mental health was common commonplace on TV at the time and had the depiction for a long time on TV and movies and has, and has very damaging consequences. It scares people away from seeking treatment. Today, at least in the UK, mental health issues are treated in the community. They will offer you medicine and emotional support while you still live your normal life. For most people, this is an effective treatment plan and a million miles away from what happened to Daniel. The worst part of all this is the modern way of treating someone someone with mental health issues would be far more interesting as a story than what than what we saw. You could have got so many great moments where Jack is conflicted about how Daniel should be treated and may be forced into decisions with drastic consequences. Oh, um, that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. And then, oh, it looks like it cut off the end of the email there. Yeah. Um, I'll have to write back and see if he had more to say. Um, but yeah, we didn't really go into that too much um, just because we personally don't have any experience with, you know, mental health care in the U.S. at least outside of some general knowledge from social media and things. Um, but yeah, but those are some very good points about, yeah, like keeping Daniel against his will, there should be somebody who's acting sort of as Daniel's representative to make those decisions rather than the doctor just going, and now you do, we do this to you. Right. Yeah. 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 Especially medicating him against his will. Yeah. And where it seemed like they all, the only thing they gave him was like sedatives to like knock him out. Yeah. Like he'd get agitated, they'd knock him and he'd just like pass out, which, Yeah. Yeah. Not really effective treatment. Yeah, I would have to agree with. Fair points so, all. I, I, that. I liked that very much. Yes. Thank you, Andrew. Please write in more because that was that was very informative yeah. and okay. very interesting. Yeah. And um, yeah, I will write back to you and see what happened to the rest of your email because it got cut off. Um, 
But next yeah. time, <laughs> next time, <laughs> the sorry, other I, half of Andrew's email. I know. Sorry, I so I didn't read. I don't really like to read ahead too much when we get emails. So I like to sort of be able to spin off the cuff with Rachel and react in the moment to you know what you guys have written in. Mm-hmm. So. Um, but yeah. Therefore, please don't write us anything that you would be saying on the air that would be not good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, crap. I just shot myself in the foot, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> you did. Oh. Anyway. <laughs> um, okay. Well, I think that's going to do it for this week. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, Thank you, as always, for listening. You can find us on Twitter at SG underscore Rewatch or send us an email at woo, SG Rewatch. That's W-O-O-S-G Rewatch at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review us, please. And we will see you next time for Scorched Earth. Bye. Bye.